Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20, 1 Samuel 20, we're continuing, of course, our study of 1 Samuel. We're seeing the lives of David and Jonathan and Saul, and the book reveals really a contrast between godly men and ungodly men. If you think about it, Saul is the man who lives for himself and pride and jealousy and all that. David and Jonathan both live for God. They're caring and are loyal to one another. We're moving into chapter 20, and David is on the run from Saul, and the exile has started, and it'll be really the rest of Saul's life. He's chasing after David, and the more that he goes after David, and the more that David does good, the more that Saul is jealous of him. And we see that God continues to protect David all the way through this. In fact, I'll put it this way, God will protect David many times during this period of exile. And this morning, as we look at David, we think about this. David is on the run and his covenant with Jonathan, and we think about the loyalty, the faithfulness, the protection, all of that that's going on. I think uh, this chapter is, is a great chapter, and I think we'll enjoy it as we go through it. We won't see the whole thing this morning. We'll get through part of it. Well, I read a survey not too long ago by the Gallup poll and also by George Barna, and they said, what do you think is the number one trait of people who, who work in a company or really anywhere, and the answer kept coming up, faithfulness. The idea that seemed to be the number one thing that people would be faithful. We know in the Bible, the idea is being faithful and little and faithful and big. And 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, in this case, moreover, brethren, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. The word trustworthy is the same word as faithful, to be found faithful. This morning, we're going to see the loyalty and the faithfulness of Jonathan and David for each other, and how Jonathan actually risked his life to find David, and David, of course, uh, trying to get with, with uh, Jonathan and figure out what's going on. Just remember where we are. Saul is trying to kill David. David's on the run. Uh, it's, it's amazing that Saul cannot find David and catch him, but everybody else can. Jonathan can find David. David's family can find David. He, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. As we go through this, we're going to see the love of David and Jonathan and their faithfulness for each other. We're going to see about vows and a covenant. They make a covenant with each other, and we're going to talk about the importance of keeping our word. And then we really see two responses to the will of God, Saul's rejection of God's will. See, Saul was the king, but now God's rejected him, but he doesn't want to deal with that, where Jonathan is accepting the fact that David will be the next king, and we'll talk about that. And then we'll look at how do we respond to the trials, and, and how do we live life to the fullest in the midst of the problems, because there are problems everywhere. Uh, in our lives even now, we can look at the life of David and Jonathan, and we see the problems, but what about our own lives? Here's the outline, of, just a brief outline of where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Jonathan and David, they're, they're meeting, and we see that David asks Jonathan questions. They have this plan they're going to come up with. We'll talk about it, and we'll see the vow that they make for each other. And then we'll kind of stop right before before we get to a kind of a main idea of what, what's about to happen. So let's think about this. This is going to be the first meeting really between David and Jonathan when David is now on the run. Somehow they get together. Remember, Saul has, has gone to David's house to try to catch him, and he wasn't there, and he hasn't been able to catch him. And yet Jonathan can find David. And as we start this chapter, there's a thing that's sort of strange to me. David still seeks to be reconciled to Saul. He still thinks, wait a minute, you know, Saul's trying to kill me, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. Saul's going to be the king. One day I'll be the king. And, and so he's trying to be reconciled. So look at chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20. Look at verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah, and he came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? 
What is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? Now, just remember that David, Saul is the king of Israel, been rejected by God because he refused to obey God, and he didn't trust God and he didn't obey God. So God's rejected Saul from being king. He's already known that David is being the next king, and now we're in this transition time, and the whole rest of the book of 1 Samuel will be the transition where Saul tries to kill David. And, of course, it all ends when Saul dies and David then becomes the king. He says uh, David has fled from Naoth. Naoth was where Samuel was, and that's the school of the prophets. And that idea there is uh, uh, is sort of a, a place of knowledge where they were training people. And so David had gone there. And now it says he left there, and, and he came to Jonathan. And tell us where they come. We'll see in just a minute. He says, what have I done? What is my iniquity? Basically, what's my sin? What is my sin between your father that he's seeking to take my life? And he says, what have I actually done? What have I done? And the answer is nothing. In fact, all he's ever done is good. And sometimes we find in our lives that people come after us, even when all we've done is good. When you say, I've tried to do the best I can, I've tried to, to be nice to people, and some people, uh, they're going to be jealous of you, they're not going to like you, they're not going to like you just because they don't like you, and they'll come after us. And it's envy and jealousy and pride. What has David done? All David has done is kill Goliath, won the battles, played the music, and become a hero. And, of course, that makes Saul even more jealous, and so he wants to kill him. And, and it's so easy uh, for us sometimes to be jealous of others or sometimes people to be jealous of us. And, and here's, the, I think, two things to remember. One is remember that God's in control. Even in the life when there are people who mistreat you or people who are against you, and you say, I, I don't know what I ever did to that person. Why would they be against me? Just remember God's in control. The second thing is let, let others be the one to build us up, not ourselves. And what I mean by that is that the whole idea of pride and things, you can see that Saul always brags on himself where David and Jonathan never bragged on themselves. And the thing about it is in our lives, we know that everything that, God, everything that happens through us is God in his grace. And so anytime God gets to use us or he chooses to use us, we should always say, thank you, Lord. It is just, it's you and it's, it's just your blessings. And we'll notice uh, David goes to Jonathan and says, what have I sinned? What have I done? Why is your father far, far against me? He said to him, Saul, uh, De- uh, Jonathan says, far from, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? Is it not so? Now you're saying, Jonathan, do you know what's happened? He's already hid that. Obviously, he's hid that from Jonathan. Jonathan must be unaware that uh, Saul has already tried to kill David twice. And, and so... Jonathan says, oh, my father won't. You're not going to die. My father, he would tell me everything that he's going to do. Well, the truth is he hadn't told him everything he's going to do. He, in fact, the only thing he did tell him back in chapter 19 was let's kill, let's kill David. And Jonathan said, no, we, we can't kill David. So what does David say to all this? In verse 3 says, yet David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I found favor in your sight. As he said, do not let Jonathan know this or it'll be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there's hardly a step between me and death. Now, he's, David says, listen, uh, your father knows you and I are really close. He's not going to tell you what he's about to do because he knows it will upset you and grieve you. So he's, be careful. He's not going to tell you that he's trying to kill me. And then he said, you know, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, there's just a step between me and death. And he says the truth is, the way he says it is really there's just a heartbeat. And the truth is, we are truly a heartbeat from death. Listen, God doesn't guarantee a certain time for us. God doesn't guarantee how much time we're going to have on this earth. And we don't know that we could die the next second. You could. And so David is saying, listen, he's after me, and I never know when he's going to catch me. 
Now, the truth is, I think deep down, David knows that God has anointed him to be the next king. And I think he knows he'll be the next king. And one great thing about it is Saul will never catch David. No matter, because God has already anointed David to be the next king. So watch what happens. Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I'll do for you. Just tell me what you want. What do you want me to do? So they come up with this plan, and watch what it says. So David said to Jonathan, "Uh, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down to eat with the king. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. Now, what are they talking about? Tomorrow's the new moon. Well, in a Jewish calendar, if you remember, there are 12 months in a Jewish calendar. There's 30 days in each month. There's 360 days in a Jewish calendar. It's based off the moon and not off the sun. That's why the dates and everything don't always measure up in the way we look at them. So their calendar is different. At the first of a month, they would have what they called a new moon, a new moon feast. And at the first of a month, sometimes the new moon would be uh, the first day of the month, and sometimes it was the first two days of the month. We're going to find in this particular time that they're going to celebrate a feast at the beginning of the month for the first two days. Normally, people would come together, and since Saul is the king, and David's one of his men, and Jonathan and all, they would all expect to sit down and have a special meal for two different days. And, and that's what, so David says, well, tomorrow is the new moon. I ought to sit down to eat with the king. I'm supposed to. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. So it's going to be a two-day deal. He says, let me just go hide. Let me remind you that in Leviticus chapter 23, you find all the feast days of Israel. Every week they had a feast. They called it the Sabbath. They rested. Uh, they worked for six days and rested on the seventh day, the first day of the week, Sunday. The last day of the week is Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath. And so they rested on the Sabbath. At, at the beginning of a month, they had what they called a new moon feast. They also had yearly feasts. Every year they had Passover on the 14th day of the first month. They had a feast called Unleavened Bread. They had a feast called First Fruits, which represented resurrection. The Feast of Pentecost, which was called the Feast of Weeks. They had a feast called the Feast of Trumpets on the first day of the seventh month. It was the beginning of their new year, so to speak. They had a feast called the Day of Atonement. They covered their sins. And then the Feast of Tabernacles. So that was their different feast. And so this is a monthly feast. It's called the New Moon. And basically David says it's the New Moon. I should be there. I should be there to eat. But I, I, I think the best thing to do, since he's trying to kill me, is I'll just go hide and we'll see what happens. And, and by the way, it would be, David would dishonor the king by not being at the new moon feast. So we're going to see what, 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 how are they going to come up with this. And we're going to see that later, we won't see it this morning, but later when Saul says, where's David? Jonathan says, well, David uh, asked if he could go be with his family on this particular feast. We'll see what happens. That'll be next time that we look at this. So look at the plan. So David said to Jonathan, uh, tomorrow is the new moon. This is verse five again. I ought to sit down to be with the king, but let me go hide myself in the field. Then here's what he says. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked for me to leave to go to Bethlehem because it's the yearly sacrifice for the whole family. Now, I hate to say it, but they're lying. He basically says, listen, just tell him I've gone to be in my father's house because on this particular new moon, we have a yearly festival for our family, and it would be best if I just went to be with my family. Now, there's a test coming, and here's the test. Notice verse 7. If he says it's good, your servant will be safe. If he says, if he's very angry, we know that he's decided on evil. He said, here's what we do. If Saul says, well, that's okay that Jonathan went to be with, I mean, that David went to be with his family, then everything's going to be okay. He's not going to try to kill me. But if Saul is angry, 
He has decided on evil, and he'll keep on trying to kill me. So he says this, I'm going to go hide in the field. When it's the new moon feast, and y'all sit down, and your dad says, where's David? And you tell him, I went to be with my family. If he goes, okay, then everything's going to be all right. But if he gets really mad, it's not going to be good. Look at verse 8. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. They're talking, and he says, deal kindly with your servant, for you brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. And David says, Jonathan, we've got an agreement that we're going to take care of each other, and we're going to protect each other, and we've got this covenant with each other. And then he says to Jonathan, but if there's iniquity in me, if I've done something wrong, put me to death yourself. Why should then you bring me to your father? He said, listen, you and I are closest friends. If I've really done something wrong, why don't you just kill me now instead of your father trying to kill me? Well, you know what Jonathan's going to say. Jonathan said, I'm not going to kill you. You've never done anything wrong. And so look what he says. Jonathan says, far be it for you. For if indeed I should learn any evil that's been decided to you from my, by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? He says, no, 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 I'm not going to kill you. And let me just tell you, if I hear about what my father's going to do, I'll tell you. I'll make sure you know so you can get out of here. Well, how's he going to get word to David? How's he going to tell David what's going to happen? You remember they got this test coming. David's not going to be at the meal. And what's Saul going to do? And how are they going to work this thing out? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Who's going to tell me if your father gets angry and that means he's going to try to kill me? Well, they come up with a plan. So Jonathan says to David, come, let's go out into the field. So both of them went out in the field. Now, they're out in the field. This is a field that's probably near to where they live. It's a field they go in a lot. If you remember, this field has this big rock in it, and it's a place to hide, and David has hid there before, and Jonathan and David have met there before, and so they come out to the field, and they say, look, let's come up with a plan. So let, let's go out into the field, and let's come up with this plan. And so notice it says, Jonathan said to David, this is verse 12, Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, when it may take two days to figure out because it's a, you know, the two-day feast and then by the third day. Behold, if there's a good feeling toward David, shall I not then send to you and make it known to you? I'll send somebody to get you. If it pleases my father to do you harm, if he decides he wants to kill you, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and me also. If I do not make known to you and sends you away that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you. Now, I'm gonna, I want you to read this last sentence, and I'll come back to it in just a minute. He says, and may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now, here's what he says. He says, listen, if it's good, if my father's good, I will send to you. Jonathan will send somebody to get David because David's going to be hiding in that field. I'll send somebody to get you. Now, if it's bad, I'm gonna, and he's going to harm you, I'll make known to you so you can get away, so that you can get away. Now, I want you to look at the end of that verse 13 where he says, and may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now, you may not understand that, but you know what Jonathan is saying? You're going to be the king. And as my father, as my father has, the Lord has been with my father and makes him the king, 
I know that the Lord's going to be with you and make you king. He's recognizing that David will be the next king because he goes on to say in verse 14, look what he says, if I'm still alive, will you not show me kindness of the Lord that I may not die? Listen, he says, when you become king, uh, if I'm still alive, don't kill me. (laughs) show me kindness. That's what Jonathan is saying to David. You understand this, that Jonathan states, you will be king, and may God be with you as king. Now, I want you to understand the difference. Saul was king. God has rejected him. Saul refuses to accept the will of God that he is no longer to be the king. He's refusing to accept it. Jonathan should have been the next king when Saul would die. Jonathan, his son, will be the next king. But Jonathan recognizes David is going to be the next king. And he says, may the Lord be with you. And Jonathan is willing to accept the will of God. Sometimes it's hard when we see what God is doing. And Saul says, I'm going to be king. And God says, no, you're not. And he says, yes, I am. Jonathan says, I should be king, but God... You want David to be king? That's fine with me. In fact, while David's the king, I'll serve him any way I can. And and then he says this great statement in verse 14. If I'm still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? And then he goes on to say, you shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of his enemies. What is he talking about? You realize He says that when you become the king, show me loving kindness. You know why? Because when a new king would take over, what would they do to the old king's family? They'd kill them all. He's really saying, David, when you become the king, I I know that it would be expected that you would kill me because I will be a rival to you as the next king. He says, so I'm just asking, don't kill me because I'm on your side. I recognize God has made you king. I will rest with you. I will be with you. I love the word when he says in verse 15 and verse 14 also, he says, uh, verse 14 says, if I'm still alive, will you not show me loving kindness? And then in verse 15, you shall not cut off your loving kindness. You've heard me say this many, many times. That's that Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed is how you pronounce it. And it means a loyal love, a love that does not change. And you know that, that this, is, this is these two guys, and they understand this loyal love. In fact, uh, we're going to see later on when we get into 2 Samuel. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, Jonathan is dead, but Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. And we see that David shows love to a son of Jonathan because of this agreement that they made. And David and stood. In fact, let me just tell you a quick thing. We're going to see it when we get to it. It's going to be in Second Samuel. Mephibosheth hears word that David says, "I call for Mephibosheth to come see me." Mephibosheth says, "If I'm going to see King David, that means he's going to kill me because I'm a son. I'm a descendant of the other king, and so he's obviously going to kill me." And so when he comes in, he falls before David and says, uh, I know you're going to kill me. And David said, no, 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 because of Jonathan, you get to eat at my table. You get to be with me. I will take care of you the rest of your life. That's because of the covenant. You know that God has made a covenant with us? He said, I so love the world that I gave my only begotten son that whosoever would believe in me would never perish but have what? 
everlasting life. God has an covenant agreement. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3 when the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. It goes to Genesis 12 when the seed of the son of Abraham will bless the entire world. It goes to 2 Samuel chapter 7 when the son of David will be the king of kings and the lord of lords. It goes to, to uh, Daniel chapter 7 where the son of man will set up a kingdom that will never end. It goes to Luke chapter 2 when the son of Mary Back chapter 1 and chapter 2 with the Son of Mary will be the Messiah and the King. And it goes to when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God has made an agreement and he said this. It's unconditional. I've sent my Son. He will die and pay for sin. Whoever will believe in him will never perish but have everlasting life. We have the greatest message of all time. I think that sometimes we forget what we're here for. We're here to make disciples. The whole purpose of this local body is to make disciples, whether it's youth or children or college or adults or SAM group or grow groups or the women's ministry or the men's ministry. It doesn't make any difference what it is. The purpose of all of this together is to make disciples, and that is evangelism and training, leading people to Christ, helping them understand how Jesus gives eternal life simply by faith, and then training them and equipping them so they can reproduce themselves. That's what we're here for. We're not here just to come to church. We're here to be taught the Word of God and trained and equipped to serve so that when we go out these doors, we lead people to Christ, bring them back in, and train them. That's why we have SBI. That's why we have youth group and children's ministry and the college ministry and all the grow groups and the adult things and all of that. That's all for training and equipping believers so we can make disciples. Well, watch what happens. He goes on and says, so, uh, so go, go down to verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord required at the hands of David's enemies. He says, listen, this is, we're going to be in this together. So Jonathan made a vow, again, because of his love for him, because he loved him as his own life. Wow. He loved him as his own life. Well, watch what happens. They got to come up with an idea. And Jonathan said to him, tomorrow's the new moon and you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. I mean, what's going to happen? You're not going to be there. We're going to all sit down to eat and Saul is going to look around and he's going to go, where's David? He says, when you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day and you shall remain by the stone Ezel. There's been another time that David hid by this stone. We already saw it back in chapter 19. The stone is called the stone of Ezel. If he hid back in 19, and it's called, Ezel means exhaustion. It's the stone of exhaustion. He says, I want you to go hide there. After those three days, after the, the first two days of the Feast of Unleavened, uh, uh, the, the New Moon Feast, I want you to go there and hide where we've hid before, where I could find you. And then how are we going to get the word? How are you going to know whether my father is going to kill you or not? Well, watch what happens. He says, when you stay for three days, verse 19 again, you shall go quickly, go to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day. That's when he ran from Saul earlier. And you shall remain by the stone, Ezel. And here's what I'm going to do. I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And hold, I'll send the lad saying, go find the arrows. If I specifically say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them, then come for their safety for you and no harm. But if I say to the youth, behold, the arrows are beyond you, Go, for the Lord has sent you away. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to go out there, and he's going to have a guy, a little guy, 
who's going to be with him. And he says, hey, you want to come with me? I'm going to shoot some arrows. And the young guy says, oh, yeah. And David's hiding behind the rock. And so he says, I'm going to shoot some arrows, and then you go get them for me. And the little guy says, I'll go get them. So he's going to shoot them. And if he shoots it where he then says to the guy, oh, the arrows are they're beyond, go on out there, way out there. David hiding behind the rock knows, uh-oh, uh-oh. If it's beyond, I'm in trouble. If he shoots them short and says, oh, no, they're right, right over that way, David knows, okay, I'm safe, and he's going to come out. So that's going to be the plan. And so this young little guy who's going to get the arrows doesn't even know that David's there, so he doesn't know anything about it. And so the plan is David's going to hide, go out by the rock on that third day, and Jonathan's going to come to shoot the arrows. And so look again. And behold, verse 21, if I send the lad saying, go find the arrows, I'll specifically say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of you. Get them, then come for their safety. But if I say to the youth, behold, the arrows are beyond you, go, for the Lord has sent you away. If it's beyond you, it's over. And then they said, as for this agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Now I have to say, they're two of the closest friends you'll ever find in the Bible, ever. When I study, and, and, and you too, when you look through the scripture, I, I cannot hardly find anyone greater than Jonathan. He is one of the great men of the Bible. And of course, when you think of David, I mean, he, he's a great man. He's a man after God's own heart. I mean, he, everybody did wrong, and I'm sure Jonathan did wrong. That's not recorded, some of the things. But the bottom line is, they are two of the great men in the Bible. And they say, we have an agreement between each other. And that we're going to see it later on. They're going to say, if I die, you take care of my kids. If you die, I will take care of your kids. That's what they're going to say. That's why Jonathan dies, David lives, and David takes care of Jonathan's kids simply because of this agreement. Well, watch what happens. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. Well, there it is. And the king sat on a seat as usual, the seat by the wall. He always sat by the wall. The king sits by the wall so there's nobody can come up behind him. There's always the wall behind the king. Uh, a lot of people, when they come into a place, they want to sit where they can see out and not because they, they don't want to have things come up behind them. So when the king would sit down, he always sat by the wall so that there's nobody behind him and he's protected. And so it says, so the king sat, as usual, the seat by the wall. Then Jonathan came and Abner came by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. It's empty. What is Saul going to say? Watch. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day. For he thought, well, maybe it's an accident. Maybe he's not clean. Surely he's not clean. See, if you, if you somehow got contaminated, you touched a dead body, you did something, well, then you couldn't eat the meal. And so he thinks maybe David was contaminated, and that's why he didn't come to the meal. So he doesn't say anything the first day. There's going to be another day, and we'll see what happens there. Well, let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Let's love one another. When you look at David and Jonathan and you see the loyalty and the faithfulness between those two, I think it's so important that we love one another. In fact, that's the key in our relationships is be loyal and faithful and show our love. Think about this. It, love is an action. So many people think love is a feeling. Love has feelings, but love is not a feeling. Love is an action. 
Jesus said they'll know us by our love for one for one for another. So build into each other. Show love and faithfulness in our relationships. We're the body of Christ. We're the family of God. We're the children of God. We're to love one another. And Jesus said, listen, they'll know that you belong to me by your love one for another. There's a whole bunch of one another's. There's over 50 places in the New Testament that it says one another, like love one another, build up one another, pray for one another. The key arch, overarching one is to love one another. And that's the key for us, to love one another. And, and then there may be times that you need to reconcile. And, and, and by the way, reconciliation always takes two people. Uh, forgiveness, you forgive others regardless. But the reconciliation, you may try to reconcile with someone, they won't reconcile with you. That's all you can do. But sometimes both people are willing and you can have a reconciliation. The second thing is let's keep our word. David and Jonathan have made a vow to each other, and that means they're going to keep their word to each other. And that means also for us that when we say something, let's do it. If we say, I'm going to come help, I'll be there that Saturday morning to help set up chairs. If you're going to say you're going to be there, then be there. You know, Uh, just keep our word as Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. The third thing I want you to think about, let's tell others about God's grace for salvation. You know, uh, that he's made an agreement, he's made a deal. We call it the unconditional covenant, the covenant of salvation, in which God will send, like in, from the Old Testament, God would send him a redeemer, a savior. We look back, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to pay for our sin, to rise again, and whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. We get to tell that message. Think about when was the last time you shared your faith? that you talk to somebody else and you said, have you ever understood about how a person could have an eternal relationship with God, how, how a person could, could have eternal life? And many people will say, well, no. Or, or you could even say, if you were to die, do you think you would have eternal life or be with God forever? And they may say, well, I hope so. And you could say, would you like me to tell you how you can know for sure? They may even say, I think so. And you could say, why do you think that? Would you like me to show you? And sometimes people say, oh, I know. And then you ask them and see what they say. And sometimes they say, because I have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And you go, wow, that's good. But sometimes they say things like, because I've tried to be a good person and I live good and I pray a lot. And you go, you know, deep down, they don't know anything about how to have eternal life. We have the privilege of telling people how they can know that they have eternal life. The last one, let's trust God in the trials. David's on the run. He'll be on the run for the rest of the book. And, and so as we think about that, let's, let's live for the glory of God every day. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you, don't you know your bodies? The temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in our bodies. Regardless of what's going on in our lives, we want to live for the glory of God every day. And we also got to remember that uh, sometimes, sometimes people will be after us. They'll be against us, and for no reason. And just remember, God's in control. He's working it all. We can trust him. And the second thing is just remember, life is short. As David said, there's just a, uh, just a heartbeat between me and death. You never know how long you have. So let's just say, look, I just want to live for the Lord right now, every day, whatever day I have, whatever number, may I live for him.